Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. Today, we are joined by Swim Swam Editor-in-Chief, Braden Keith from Philadelphia, and Loretta Race from Cincinnati, Ohio. Everyone, how's it going today? We ready to talk about some news? Coleman, I noticed you started to say you're from Brooklyn now instead instead of just New York City. Does that make you cooler being in Brooklyn specifically? It means I'm going to go to one Nets game and uh, and then say I'm a Brooklynite. And not see Kyrie Irving play. And, and, not, see, and not see Kyrie Irving. Uh, so, But speaking of being in the big city, uh, later this week, I will be filming Practice and Pancakes with yet another Ivy League school so stay tuned for that that'll be coming at you next week we Which one? Oh, I, was, I was trying to keep it a surprise i'm going to columbia <laughs> <laughs> going Obvious. to the big city manhattan uh mm. we sat down with lily king um just before this that podcast should be dropping any moment uh in the next couple of days we're also talking to double olympic gold medalists in tokyo kaylee McEwen later this week so just to, just some things to keep your eyes on on the horizon. But let's talk about this last week in swimming. I think the biggest news was the World Cup in Berlin. Again, th- this World Cup's getting off to a really exciting start. I think my highlight, at least, was Matt Sates dropping his third World Junior record this time in the 400 freestyle, 337.92. He negative splitted that swim. Uh, Loretta, do you, you are our senior international reporter. What did you think of this swim? Yeah, actually of his other swims, like the 200 IM and then 200 free that fell the week before in Berlin, I actually thought the 400 free would be the least likely to drop only because Tommy Neal, the Australian who held the record at, I think it was 338 flat. I mean, that's super wicked quick. So I was a little surprised. Um, and maybe that, you know, set the tone for the rest of his swims where he didn't knock down any more world junior records. Cause we're kind of like, Oh, now we're kind of expecting it like every swim, but it was still a phenomenal effort. And, um, I think, you know, he's one to watch and I think he introduced himself and it's, it's exciting. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's, that's a good, good swim. <laughs> uh, but that's yeah. not the only world class analysis Coleman. I love it. Yeah. That's sorry. That's all <laughs> I got. Um, I I'm, I'm really excited to see if we can sit down and talk with him again. He's just 17. Uh, um, he's 18. He is 18. Oh, he's 18. He is. He's I'm, 18. I'm so uninformed. <laughs> Time, uh, man. Time is weird. That's not the only world-class swim we saw. Emma McKeon dropped a 50.58 tying her for the number two performer and performance all time yes. behind yes. her country woman, Kate Campbell. <laughs> uh, does, d- did this surprise you at all? Um, especially coming off of her double Olympic gold medal performance. You know, I, I feel like every short court meters, like records go down just because a lot of swimmers don't swim it that often, but that was pre ISL. So the fact that she still put up her fastest swim, and I think it was oh, before Berlin, it was like 50 point or 51.0. So she had never been under 50 before. And so she dropped it down about a half a second. So for someone who swims ISL that prolifically and, and is in the short course meters world, I'm surprised. Yeah. That she threw down something that quickly, um, especially I mean, being 27 and having a long career. I mean, she's, she's, she's back on like three or four weeks of serious training. That's what's, what's so impressive to me. And, you know, I think this is how we see guys like Bruno Fratis. 
sort of extend their careers. I think these veteran sprinters, um, I don't think it takes them all that long to get back into form. Uh, and I think we're learning that more and more uh, that, that sort of these sprinters, not that she's old by any means at 27, but you know, if, if we look at 30 is kind of this cutoff where, where swimmers careers often go downhill, she's getting close to that. Um, but she was still able to just, she said after the Olympics, she took a few weeks off where she just kind of swam when she when and what she felt like swimming. Um, and now three or four weeks back and she's already popping 50.8. That's, that's super impressive to me. 50.5. Sorry. Time uh, again, time is hard. But speaking of these prolific sprinting careers, we saw Tom Shields get a notch in his sprinting career. Yeah. 2199 in the 50 fly, breaking Caleb Dressel's yeah. American record. I I think that's the first Caleb Dressel American record we've seen go down in history, right? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it to me. I, I was surprised. That was awesome. I think everybody loves Tom Shields at this point, just the journey he's been through and, and how open he's been, you know, he's such a professional. He gets it. He gets that, you know, every swim, everything that happens is an opportunity for him to be back in the news cycle, to stay important, to stay relevant for his, his sponsors. Um, Shields, Shields is going to go down as one of the, I think most loved American swimmers who hasn't won an individual gold medal. I just think people vibe with him so hard. Right. Oh, and I think to that point, I actually talked to him today and I said, what the heck happened with that swim and how'd you pull it out? And he said, actually watching um, Nicholas Santos in Italy, like he figured a few things out with his swim. And so he's not above, you know, taking notes from, you know, the world record holder, you know, and he's still learning things at this at 30 years old. So that's amazing. I think one interesting thing about all these swims really is that we're seeing these ISL stars uh, coming off of the ISL regular season. And then they kind of have a different meet schedule. Well, I guess this was a different meet format where they only have one or two events a day and they kind of focus in on those. And then we see some really studly swims. Yeah. Do you think that makes a difference at all? It, actually this morning, Tom did say that having the 50 fly just as his first event that day, even though he had the hundred back like 15 minutes later, but you know, he was able to just, you know, put for, full force on that particular event. Like you say, whereas before it's rapid fire with ISL. So they don't have that opportunity to have, you know, quite as much prep or even mental preparation if nothing else. We think this is that the ISL has just sort of changed swimmers perspective on short course meters. I, you know, is this just like, swimmers are more focused. They're more thinking about, they're spending more time thinking about it. They're spending more times on the technical skills and the stroke counts of short course meters than maybe they would have before. I mean, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it has just cause there's, you know, if there's money, people are going to put more effort, put more emphasis into it. And, and from the athlete's perspective, you talk to anyone, they're like, ISL is so much fun. You know, I love racing in the ISL. I love being with my teammates, my friends, and because of that, it's like, I'm sure they, they put more effort and they're like, okay, I'll actually focus on short course meters and, and want to try in it. You know, we saw Adam Petey race short course after he'd sworn off of it because he wanted to be in the ISL and he wanted to be in that team environment and get to get to do his thing. Yeah. But yet we're seeing faster times at the world cup. So is it scheduling or is it that ISL is fun and world cup is more like my job, you know? 
That's a good, I, to me, that's like you're in racing shape, you're in racing mode. And then, like you said, you don't have to swim three swims in two hours or, or whatever, you know, you don't have to go back to back to back at world cups. You can just focus on one event and then maybe it, it gets a little better. Yeah. Um, and I guess you actually walk away with the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, dude. That's the one thing that ISL needs to do that world, <laughs> the, the world cups got down. Right. Time value right. of money from all <laughs> yeah. my finance and accounting friends, the time value of money at world cup is huge compared to ISL. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, that's the, that's been the coolest part from <clears throat> just from the business side of the swimming thing is like ISL, you, you see the big checks at every swim meet. <laughs> right. 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 And, uh, it's a draw. It's a draw for sure. Um, so, <laughs> so one aspect of swimming or one, one corner of swimming that is not getting paychecks is, uh, we reported this month that Queensland is cutting their funds. Uh, even after a prolific and huge Olympic games, um, Loretta, you, again, you reported this, um, what can you tell us about this? And, and uh, honestly, first, just why is this happening? (laughs) Yeah, that's, I, I haven't really gotten to the bottom of exactly why it's happening other than, you know, swimming Queensland is not for profit. So they thrive on every dime that they can get. Um, and the Queensland, Queensland Academy of Sport is what actually has been funding them half a million per year since I think it was 2015. Um, and so they haven't publicly said how much is being slashed by. So, but even any penny, like I said, is, is going to have an impact down the line when it trickles down to even age group swimmers. I mean, anywhere in the Queensland, Queensland area. And we had uh, McEwen, who you're going to interview, we had Timmis, we had other Queenslanders who did a phenomenal job at the Olympics. So it does kind of send a bad message, you know, that, Hey, you guys top the podium and now you're getting less money, you know? <laughs> Do we, I mean, is this the start of Australia moving to more of an American model? Because the Americans are kind of unique in that there's not direct public funding into Olympic sports. You know, there's some indirect through pools and college programs and other things, but there's not kind of direct funding into the Olympic world. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't think a funding cut will impact their Olympic results right away. I think it'll, it'll take a few years because nobody's going to, nobody who's training seriously for Paris is just going to disappear in the next three years because of the funding cut. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's kind of a long-term thing. And I, I wonder if this is, you know, there's a lot of issues in the world right now. And a lot of countries are evaluating and reevaluating where sport fits in, into their greater societal needs. And maybe this is the beginning of, of the government saying, okay, sport, you need to start funding yourself. You need to find your own money. Um, they do and- though. They have Reinhardt. I mean, swimming Australia has a, a huge individual benefactor, Reinhardt, who, who, I mean, if she goes away, then a huge chunk of money goes away. So they do have self-funding in the form of a rich lady. <laughs> but, but they apparently not enough. I mean, maybe they want, maybe they think swimming Australia is wasting that money and they wanted to push it around more to, to better programs. Well, and that's, to me, it's particularly interesting. Like Braden said, we might not see this in the next few years, right? Like people training for Paris, it's fine. But, uh, but Brisbane's hosting the 2032 yeah. Olympics, right. right? And that's like right. the, that's the long-term you want to see, especially having success at in Tokyo as they did. It's like, 
why, why now, why then? But yeah, maybe it's just, maybe it's just bigger than swimming. And it's like, well, sport, we have better use for our finances. I don't well, know. Well, I mean, but we're seeing it everywhere. I mean, cause even great Britain, I mean, they had another, you know, terrific games and they're, mm-hmm. I forget how many pools are facing closure, you know? So it's, it's not just Australia. I think that was in the headlines this week, but I think it's an international issue, you know, that I think is not just specific to the state of Queensland within the country of Australia. What I think is interesting is that the LA, you know, Paris will be a fine Olympics. It'll be not the greatest Olympics we've ever seen, but it won't be the worst Olympics we've ever seen. I think that's kind of the expectation just in an Olympic sphere, but LA 2028 in, in the Olympic industry, people are talking about it as being just this giant golden calf sitting out there that there's going to be so much money flowing into the Olympics, especially here in the United States, um, but around the world too. People are expecting it to be just sort of like the biggest financial thing that has ever happened in the Olympic world. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get, if you're trying to figure out a way to make these sports more self-sustaining, even, I guess even I, I'm, I'm talking back my own point, and this all assumes that the, the sport administrators kind of have a, a good vision, but to me, you support them until LA 2028, but you kind of tell them, Hey, you've got till LA 2028 to figure this stuff out. And after that, mm-hmm. um, you need to, you need to stand a little more on your own two legs. Um, if, if the prognostications come true and all that money is flying around the world, they're going to be real mad if they don't win a bunch of gold medals and, and miss out on that as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, that also makes me wonder, like, it was this, was this in the works before the Olympics, you know, was this something that was coming down the pipeline, regardless of how Queensland swimming performed at the Olympics and oh, yeah. even, I'm even sure they, they did great. Yeah. I'm sure they forecast budgets pretty well in advance. So I would, I would be shocked if it wasn't something brewing already. And the elephant in the room is that by the time Brisbane rolls around, nobody's going to be able to spend um, with what China is spending. China is going to outspend probably the rest of the world's Olympic organizations combined by 2032. So you got to figure out a different way to compete with China if you want to continue to sit at the top of the world, unfortunately. That's an interesting point. Certainly not one that I can speak to, but <laughs> um, regressing a little bit, uh, going back to the World Cup, we, I, I missed a couple of points. I just had to make the paycheck segue. Uh, but Laszlo Che's Goodbye Swim, I was actually searching for this like the day after the 100 IM, and I was like, he didn't swim the 100 IM. What yeah. the heck? But then we find out it was like a ceremonial goodbye swim where, like, you know, the, the whole uh, hungry national team jumped in for his last 25 and he had other competitors and surprise rivals racing him. Uh, because like you literally get to stop at each wall and like have a breather. Right. <laughs> so like you stopped and then somebody else like dove in, which was awesome. I mean, and at the end it was, yeah, Katinka, Christoph was there, um, Richard Burnick. So people dove in and just like, a herd of swimmers swam, you know, the freestyle, which was amazing. And he had hair when he swam. That was awesome. <laughs> Cause we're 99% seeing Che always with a bald head. So anyway, it was like a, a man reborn after his retirement, but it was, it was awesome. It was a little teary eyed. It was a great thing. I think we need more of this in swimming, you know, so much, so many swimmers 
just sort of like fade off because they yes. don't want to talk about retirement. They don't want to, mm-hmm. they want their sponsors to keep paying them kind of pretend like they're, they're not retired. But I think we need more of these sending off ceremonies. You know, when you think about when Kobe retired, he he did the whole tour and every, at every arena he went to, he got a Jersey. You know, I, I kind of love this. I think to me, this besides helping athletes maybe transition into their next life a little bit, I think it's, I think it's like great for the commercialism of the sport. I, mm-hmm. I think it's just really cool to sort of take our heroes, our swimming heroes and honor them this way. I think it's yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And especially to that point, getting to do it in Budapest, you know, in his, I don't know if that's his home pool, but you know, in front of a home crowd, I mean, like what a great way to go out for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then someone else who also performed well in that pool is Christoph Milak, who, uh, competed in among other things. He swam a ton of events, but he broke the 50 back Hungarian record twice. Uh, I think right. it ended at 23 Oh, and I think the bigger picture there was everyone was like, can Christoph Milak swim at 200 IM? Can he challenge Rimmel? You know, like, what is he going to do? Uh, do you think this 50 back from Milak says anything about his potential event lineup moving forward? I don't know. For me, I don't think he himself has landed on which events he's going to swim. So I think he's still kind of, I mean, he's, his 200 free was like decent. You know, he swam the 100 free. I think it was, I forget what he was, 48, 40. Oh, no, he was 46.9. Duh. I was converting it. But he, you know, so he he can pick and choose a myriad of events. And I don't think he's landed on his schedule. And maybe with his new coach, that's something that they'll work out together. And maybe he's kind of testing the waters a little bit. You get the feeling this is totally made up in my head. So this is not from something I read or some insider info. But going into Tokyo and in Tokyo, it almost seems like with that world record in the bag in the 200 fly, it almost seemed like he wasn't super interested in that race. Like he, he, I don't want to say he was over it. He's, he still won the Olympic gold medal, but it just felt to me as though he was kind of like, that wasn't a race. It's a race he swam because he wanted an Olympic gold medal. It's not a race he swam because he really loves swimming the 200 fly. That's how it felt to me. He looked disappointed. I mean, he, he was clearly not enthusiastic after the race. So if that speaks to anything, you know, that potentially could tie into that. But I, yeah, I mean, I think he, he, he's a fighter. He's a killer. I think he wants to go against the best. And I think right now that's him in the two fly. So now he's hunting kind of another event. Yeah. Cause there's not a lot of competition that two fly yeah. right around the world. It, uh, again, although, nobody wants yes, to swim nobody's going to touch him, but I did tell Coleman, I got no comments on my Japanese you know, people who threw down two 154s in the 200 fly at the best of me. So I was very happy about that. And I got no comments on my article about that. I think it'd be really cool <laughs> if he changed events. Cause you know, this is the thing we, this is sort of an overarching theme of swimming. Um, the new kind of athlete that's coming into the sport who are not just better swimmers, but they're better athletes. And, you know, if Caleb Dressel had really put his energy into the hundred back, do we have any doubt that he would have won an Olympic gold medal in the hundred back? Mm. And we have some doubt, but you know, I would have to imagine he would be in contention for an Olympic gold medal if he had really put his training into the 200 IM, but we'll, we'll never really get to see it because um, you know, the way the top American swimmer, which is what Caleb Dressel is, the way that person can commercialize their winnings there is just too much sort of financial and reputational risk 
to really go after a different event. Um, but that calculation's a little different for somebody like Malak. He can he can really go after the backstroke races if he wants to. And I think that's sort of a really fun narrative if this becomes a serious thing, if this was just not a one-time deal. But I would just love to see um, who who's the George Bavel, for example, who totally shifted his career from being a 200 IMR to 50 freestyler. Mm-hmm. I think those are the coolest things. And I think that's such like a big dog move. To, to just say, hey, I'm the best 200 butterflyer in the world, but I don't want to swim it anymore. Now I'm going to go be the best 100 <laughs> backstroker in the world just because I can. Well, I mean, we saw Pellegrini do that, right? And then she went back and then she like <laughs> backed off and swam the 200 free again. But I, I know that um, right after the Olympics, we heard a couple whispers of like his coaches just being furious on deck, like after his tuner fly, I think because he didn't break a world record, but like Loretta said, like you could see the visible unhappiness. And he also looked so sharp in that hundred fly. Right. I mean, it, it seems like he's almost way more focused on that because like you said, he'd already, he's already done the tuner fly. Like he, he smashed everyone. No one was close to him. So it's just like, whatever. Uh, Mm -hmm. but in that hundred fly, it's like, well, he's still, obviously he's silver medalist. He's still got competition in that. Um, and then, you know, if if we see, I feel like we've seen him swim a lot of other events in the past, mostly Mm -hmm. freestyles, but like he does Mm -hmm. 50 up to 400. Right. He could, he could do it. I think you're right, yeah. Braden. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on from Malak, uh, there was a lot happening in the NCAA this weekend. Um, I'm going to focus in on just mostly our, our Olympians who we usually see have pretty good seasons in the NCAA coming off of their Olympic debuts or Olympic performances that included at the SMU classic Maggie McNeil, who had just raced at the world cup in Berlin. Uh, she made it back to Dallas. She won the 50 free in 21, seven LSU's Brooks Curry, 1951 broke the LSU pool record. Um, in a speedo, you know, that's a really good unsuited swim. Uh, so what do we think? What do we think of these Olympians throwing down fast times? Do we think we're going to see a really exciting NCAA is what coming off of this Olympic season? Well, we have to see an exciting NCAAs because we've got, you know, 15% more swimmers than we're supposed to have. Um, but, you know, Maggie McNeil, I, I'd really love to see her. She's avoided the 100 fly, 100 back double. Um, she's mostly swung backstroke uh, leading off relays at big championship meets. But I wonder if this is an early sign that she's going to go after that 100 back, 100 fly double, which would be a really good story for the NCAA season because 51 is faster. She did swim um, the hundred fly on a medley relay where she split 50.8, which is, is good. But I mean, I guess that's good on a rolling start. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> but you know, this is, this is a suited meet. This is a fast pool. Um, so it's good, but it's not, you know, blowing anybody's mind. I don't think, um, but I'd love to see her go after the 50 hundred back pretty seriously. And, and she has a new coach this year. We have to remember that um, because she was training with Rick Bishop primarily at Michigan and Rick Bishop is now at LSU with Brooks Curry tying it all together. Um, and, you know, Brooks Curry is another guy who's going through a coaching change. Let's just keep it rolling. Brooks Curry going 19.5 in, I, I assume it's a speedo. I guess we don't know that for, for a fact. Um, but, you know, he lost his primary coach, Steve Meller, right before that meet. So that, that you know, that's not long enough to, to figure out how it's going to impact him yet. Um, 
But it's, you know, lots of big swimmers making coaching changes. Uh, that's what we see after the Olympics. So it's good to start to see some results and see at least that the the sky isn't totally falling. Um, the proof is in the pudding at the end of the season. But, you know, they still got in the pool and they were still very fast. So that's good news. We love good news. Uh, and now it's that that is this week's news. And now it's time for our favorite game on the Swim Swim Breakdown, Sink or Swim. <laughs> All right. First up today on sink or swim, should the short course world championships be a priority for everyone now, especially with ISL in the mix swim? Uh, I swim this, I I still think it should be a priority. There's still a lot of money to be made. Um, the ISL playoff, I hate to say it for most of the swimmers still doesn't matter because we still know the teams that are moving forward. And as long as your team keeps moving forward, you're going to continue to make a lot of money in the ISL. Um, so if we're calling this whole, this whole mashup of a short course season, the big payday for the swimmers, then they need to kind of train through the playoff. I think do a little drop taper for short course worlds and get ready for the ISL final. So I am swimming it as a priority. I'm swimming as well. I think anytime it's world, you need to get your butt there and actually swim. I think that that is what you train for. That's what you do. It's your job. So you need to be there. You need to throw down some good swims and help, you know, spread the, the swimming, you know, word of sport around the world. And, and that's what you need to do. <laughs> and I think that pool is going to be spectacular. I, I just, I have a feeling it's going to be spectacular. Hmm. Really hope so. I think I, we already saw a couple weird things in terms of roster eligibility. Like I don't think Beta Nelson is eligible because she's not on the national team, and we still don't have the U.S. roster for this meet, which is really annoying to me as a swim fan. But uh, Lily King also said she's not going to Short Course Worlds, and so I can we I, not just start picking Short Course World teams based on Short Course times, please? I know they yeah. they like to pretend like. It's all about the Olympics, so we're going to pick on long course. Let's please just do it based on short course times. Right. Like we have times now, so like yeah. <laughs> you you don't really there's the excuses in there. But uh, next right. up, we we did the poll last week, and Stanford women were voted most likely to dethrone the current NCAA champions. Will the Stanford women dethrone UVA at NCAA's this year? We call this like a soft sink. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think they're going to. We've been running through kind of the math in the comment section, um, and they're they're certainly within range. Uh, my expectation is that Virginia is going to be right at about 500 points, like they were last year, based on losing Paige Madden, getting in Gretchen Walsh, and a few other swimmers. So they're the, Virginia's got about the same quality as they had last year. Um, and, and Stanford is going to be better than last year. I would confidently say they are going to be top two at NCAA's. Um, but when you, when you add up the numbers, Stanford would really need sort of a perfect NCAA championship meet. Um, and, and again, we think they're going to be better, but better and perfect are not the same thing. And I think they'd have to be pretty close to perfect if they wanted to, um, upset the defending champions. I'm going to have to go with sink and just defer to Braden's answer because I don't call I don't cover college swimming. <laughs> Well, they, I mean, they've basically got an Olympic team on deck at Stanford. So, okay. So, yeah, that's reason enough. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on. Um, Adam Peaty barely made it through on oh Strictly Come Dancing this week with the Avatar dance. He actually, I think he only made it through because of fan voting. Uh, but all, a lot of fans thought he that they got robbed and earned a lot, deserved more <laughs> than their 20 of 40 point score. Uh, will Adam Peaty move on this week? Sink, he's done. He's toast. Let's let's start focusing on Pernilla Bloom, who honestly, when I watch Pernilla's videos, I forget which one is the dancer and which one is the celebrity partner because she just looks like a dancer. Adam Peaty, I think what's going to eventually catch up to him is that he is not built like a dancer. He doesn't. Right, he does, right, right. doesn't. He doesn't. He's never going to have the the right sort of points and curves Swab. and whatever. I, mm-hmm. I don't know anything about dancing. <laughs> I, I actually do know something about dancing because I play pickleball with a member of the Philadelphia Ballet and we talk about it a lot. Adam Peaty is done. He he was saved this week. He won't be saved next week. Goodbye. See you Sink. in, see I, you yeah. in Eindhoven. Sink, I think I agree with that as well. I think he kind of has the stigma that he's always going to be on the bottom. And once you're there, it's, it's hard to dig yourself out. Ooh. Interesting. All right. And uh, speaking of Eindhoven, last on our list is Arno Kaminga. Uh, he was the number one pick in the ISL draft. Uh, and then he he went to the Aqua Centurions. And we can kind of see he had a great Olympics. Coming off of those Olympics, he, he had solid ISL swims, but he wasn't winning races. He wasn't like, you know, doing the normal Arno thing where he's just breaking records left and right. <laughs> and then we saw him show up to World Cup and he's kind of, he, you could kind of see him getting in the groove. So do we think that he, that Arno Kaminga will show up big in the ISL playoffs in his home country? You go first, Loretta. Um, I'm going to say sink because I think he wants to repeat short course European championships. So that's what, why are you eyeing me? <laughs> I, that's, go on. I don't know. I don't, what? Continue. Okay. I, I, okay. So yeah, I think is. Who's the guy? Um, Shermanovich, I think, would probably beat him in the 100. Um, 200, I think, is the top guy. So I don't even think he has to, like, put up, like, a mega, mega fast swim, and I think he's still, like, a second ahead of people. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I'm thinking sink. I don't think he's going to make that, like, his, you know, huge thing. Well, Loretta, we've agreed far too much today. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and swim this. Uh, and, and I think we got to remember, this is his first year in the ISL. But prior to joining the ISL, while the ISL was happening, he was showing up every other week at some local meet in the, the Netherlands and swimming best times or near best times. And I think he's been slow playing the regular season. Um, he's, been, he's been buying into too many of his coaches' lines about building the season and how important it is to build the season, which nobody really knows what that means, but all of the coaches and general managers keep talking about it. And I think he has bought into that, and I think he's building for the playoffs, which will be the end of his ISL season, unfortunately. Um, and I am swimming Arno Kaminga to beat Adam Peaty because Adam Peaty will be back for the ISL playoff. Because he is done on Strictly Come Dancing. But do you think, I, don't, I think even though he's done, I don't know if he's still going to go to the ISO. I, I don't no, know. No, he probably won't. I'm just trying yeah. to build hype. Good job. Good job. is. I mean, there's there's plenty of other competition in the ISL. In, in short course, there's all these guys who are just so good at underwaters. Um, but 
I think he, I think he's got it. I think he'll be there. I think he's, it's just a little Olympic hangover and he's now had a month to kind of build off of his, his regular season. I think he's going to be good to go. Okay. Okay. Surprise. Last one, sink or swim. If Adam Petey shows up in Eindhoven, mm. would he be top three in the hundred or 50 breast and in, in, in any match? Swim. Yes. Swim. Yeah. Top three. Yeah. Well, I don't, well, he hasn't been training. Yeah. His no, ankle, he hurt physical. his ankle. There's his ankle. Physical. Oh, his ankle was like a two day thing. So <laughs> I, he'll be fine. I, I think if he did, he would, he's that far ahead of people and he's been physical right now. It's not like he's sitting on the couch. So yeah. Top three for sure. Well, but Kirill Pergoda is going to come back too. So he's, he's, yeah, he's more what? dangerous in the 200, isn't he? I thought he yeah, was like, but he's the, still been in short course. He's, he's still a good 1500 breaststroker. Yeah. Okay. Well, we said top three. So there you go. Okay. That's, that's Braden yeah. sink or swim. <laughs> Fine. Uh, sink it. I'm sinking it. Oh, no top threes for Petey. All right. Well, this is the end of our docket. This was uh, this past week's news and swimming. Stay tuned this week, next week to Swim Swam for podcasts, for practice and pancakes. And we'll see you next week on the Swim Swam Breakdown.